0: Well, it's good to have you here today. We're glad that you're in the service with us today. I actually have a special speaker coming this morning, and uh, it is my nephew, Mark Self. Mark, come on up. And Mark is a church planter in Buenos Aires, Argentina. He started a church plant there some years ago and uh, has developed that ministry, and he was coming here through North Carolina, and I wanted him to come speak today and share his burden and his passion and then preach the Word of God to us. His family's here as well, Ana E., She was born and raised in, go ahead and stand so they can see you, born and raised in Argentina in Buenos Aires, and they, how long have you been married? (laughs) Don't put me on the spot, 16 years. 16 years, and then their children, Sophia, the middle schooler, and then also Emma. Emma baby, yeah, we played last night together, she's a doll. And so anyways, we are so glad to have him here, and just give a warm welcome to Mark as he comes and preaches God's word today. He almost ended my marriage. Thank you. Well, we're really excited to be here with you today, to be able to share the word this morning. Last week, we were in Argentina. We actually flew up on Tuesday. It was 95 degrees. We were sitting by the pool enjoying the sunshine, and I thought, hey, what would be greater than go to North Carolina where it's cold? And so here we are, and you guys don't have a sun, but that's all right. We can get through this, so... We're enjoying our time here with you and being able to see my uncle is always great as well. And being able to share um, the word of God with you too, we pray that it will be a blessing for you as it's been to us as well. If you would, after the service, we have our prayer cards right out here to your left. There's a little table. If you would take our prayer card so that you are praying for us. Above everything else after today, what we need is that you be praying for us in Argentina. We've been in the ministry there for 10 years. in April, it'll be 10 years since we've been back as missionaries. I actually was born and grew up in Argentina. My parents have been there since 1980, and my wife, her parents are from Argentina. And so as we are down there sharing the gospel, as we are down there planning churches, as we are down there doing the ministry God has called us to do, we need your prayers. And so please take that so that you remember to pray for us. Also, we have a sign-up sheet out there. I email about once a month. We have a little Facebook group that we send out the email as well or the the prayer letter as well so that you know what's happening. There's pictures on there as well so you see faces and you can be praying for us even better that way. So if you would do that, that would be fantastic so that we know more and more people are praying for us. If you were turning your Bible this morning to Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, in just a moment we will be starting there in verse 16. Just so you know, this is the first time I am preaching in English in a year and a half. So if I make up a few words, just go with it, okay? If I throw in some Spanish, it's because I don't know how to pronounce it in English, just go with it. We had a guy come to Argentina one time. He spoke English and Spanish, and he forgot what the word grace was in Spanish. And when he came to grace, he said it in English, and he said, because grace, and he continued. So if I say, because gracia, you just go with me, okay? And we'll continue, and we'll get through this. So Acts chapter 17 is where we are this morning. Back about a year ago in February of 2023, a new family came into our church. The husband's name was Javier. His wife's name was Soledad. If you can put that picture up there for me. Soledad was in a Pentecostal church for about 15 years. During that time, she had invited her husband to come to church with him. He went with her off and on, but he never really cared about being in church. He would, he would tell me that he would go just because he wanted to be with her. Um, the kids didn't go to church with them. And so for many years, she went to church by herself. Eventually, as she continued to study the Word, she saw that she wasn't being taught sound doctrine, and she would ask her pastor questions, and he wouldn't be able to answer them. And so finally, last year in February, they came into our church, the whole family. And we're so thankful that immediately within the first couple months, Javier got saved. And Javier's been so excited to be in our church, and you cannot imagine how excited Soledad is because she's been sharing the gospel with him for months and for years. A few months later he was baptized. Four months after they came in February and June, Soledad's sister came to our church. If you'll put that picture up, the lady in the middle there is Soledad or Cristina. Her name's Cristina. That's Soledad's sister. Soledad shared the gospel with her for 15 years. Every time she shared with her, Cristina laughed in her face. Cristina was the center of all the parties. She wanted nothing to do with Christ. She wanted nothing to do with the gospel. She was totally against what Soledad was preaching and always laughed at her. But one day she made a promise to God, if such and such a thing happens, I'll visit a church. And so when she said that, Soledad said, I'm going to a new church, you should come. And she came and she never left. After two or three months, the Lord saved her soul. And now Anai has been discipling her every week ever since, and she is growing, and she's sharing the gospel with everybody, and it's so exciting to see how the Lord is working in her life. A few months after she started coming, their aunt started coming. Now, she doesn't know Christ yet. Her name is Graciela, and she's been coming for about three months now. But we continue to see how the Lord is working through Soledad, now through Javier, through Cristina, to reach the rest of their family who does not know Christ. Now, we got to put ourselves in Soledad's shoes. Can you imagine if you are Soledad, your husband's indifferent to the gospel, your family doesn't know the gospel, your kids do not know the gospel, your sister makes fun of you every time you talk about the gospel, and you could go before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm all alone. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to know about Christ. i got to give up. And for 15 years, she continued to be faithful, even in a church where she didn't even agree with what they were teaching. And she continued to be faithful to the Lord, and she found our church, and we're so thankful because that's why we started a church there, to preach the gospel and preach sound doctrine. And her family came and got saved, and the Lord's been doing a great work. Why? Because she was faithful to the Lord, and she proclaimed the gospel of Christ boldly with her family even when all the odds were stacked against her and that's exactly what i want us to look at from acts chapter 17 that we must proclaim the gospel of christ boldly paul is on his second missionary journey it's the first time he has reached Greece. he's on this journey with luke who's the writer of the book with Uh, Timothy and with Silas they reach Philippi they share the gospel there long story short they are beaten they are thrown in jail he doesn't know if this is the end of his life the Lord allows him to escape Lydia is saved the jailer and his family are saved and then after suffering there in Philippi he goes to Thessalonica when he reaches Thessalonica this is what they say about him look at verse 6 at the end Well, I'll read the whole thing. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. When Paul arrives in Thessalonica, they already know who he is. Not because they turned the news on, not because they were looking at Instagram or Facebook or X or whatever they had back then. They didn't have any of that because they heard that he was sharing the gospel. And when he came to Thessalonica, they already knew who he was. It says that some believed, but the rest persecuted him, and they had to flee, and they went to Berea. When they're in Berea, they're sharing the gospel, and in Berea, they, many believed, but the Thessalonians heard that he was in Berea. So they did the 2 days journey, and they go to Berea to persecute Paul. Paul has to flee for his life, and he flees to Athens In chapter 17, verse 16, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, Paul goes to Athens by himself. Luke was left at Philippi. Timothy and Silas are left in Berea. And here goes Paul down south in Greece, and he goes to the most incredible city of the ancient world, Athens. And he's all by himself when he goes into the city. But he's not going to wait in silence. He's not there for the sights and scenes. He's there to preach the gospel. And he's not going to stop in Athens until everyone has heard the gospel of Christ. And that's what he does, preach the gospel of Christ. So look at me with, look with me at verse 16. The first thing we're going to see today is the fervency, the fervency. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. And I'm reading from the ESV this morning. Paul arrives in Athens. Athens was a magnificent city. Now we must understand that the, the golden age of Athens was 5 B.C., so five centuries before Paul came to Athens, that is when it was at its, its peak, its greatest moment. Very few cities have matched Athens' splendor then and even now. Athens was known for its art, for its literature, literature for its philosophy, for its oratory, they had some of the greatest philosophers, which many of us have studied, such as Socrates and, and um, Plato and Aristotle in the fourth, fifth and fourth centuries. They also had some other philosophers, such as Epicurus, who began the school of the Epicureans, which we will see in verse 18. And they also had Zeno, who began the school of the Stoics, which we will also see in verse 18. And these are the main philosophies of Paul's day. So Paul visits the city years after its glory days, after its golden age, and and the city is living on its reputation. However, the city is still beautiful. The, sti- the city is still the center of the most intellectual people on the world. It is the epicenter of the philosophical world. And Paul is with the most brilliant people in the world, and he is very comfortable in this setting. And so as he is there, the end of the verse says that he saw that the city was full of idols. What's the main thing about Athens? It is a center for idols. There are idols everywhere. It was said that it was easier to find an idol than a man. And that's where Paul is. In the middle of this city, where every building in the marketplace is dedicated to a god. And there is an altar in front of it, there is an altar inside the building. Everywhere you go, there's idols. And verse 16 says that Paul was provoked within himself. Paul was burning. And Paul needed to share the gospel. He comes into this city. And when you go into Athens, there are three levels to this city. First, you walk in to the marketplace there's buildings everywhere, there's temples everywhere, there's, there's different things throughout the city, and in front of every building, as I said, there's going to be an altar, there's going to be an inscription to which God it is, inside buildings, there's going to be gods in there to which they worship, and as you're in the marketplace, you gaze up and you look um, up into the sky almost, and you see the Are- Are- Areopagus, The Areopagus is where they would discuss their philosophies, and that is actually where Paul is going to go. And then as he's looking at the Areopagus, you look even higher, and there's the Acropolis that stands at the most, at the highest point of the whole city. And on the Acropolis, you can still visit this today, is the Parthenon, a huge temple. And in the Parthenon was the goddess Athena, and she was covered in gold and ivory And actually, the whole city was named after her. It was named Athens. So this gives you a glimpse of what that city looked like. It was a city full of idols. And as he views these things, his heart is burning. He's provoked within himself. He's really irritated, and he's really angry to see everybody worshiping false gods. And so he says, I need to preach the gospel. And in verse 17, it says that he does what he always does. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. First, he went to the synagogue and he preached to the Jews. That's what he always did. And it doesn't tell us much about this. If they believed, if they persecuted him, because Luke's point here isn't the Jews. His point is the Gentile's. And then he begins to go to the marketplace and he does exactly what people before him did, what um, Socrates did and what some of these other philosophers did years before where they went to the marketplace and they began to share um, with whoever would listen to them. And so here's Paul every day in the marketplace and he's discussing his ideas. And while he's discussing his ideas, verse 18 tells us that some of the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers started to talk to him. And they didn't really like what he was saying. And so look what they say. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? And others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and he was preaching the resurrection. He has other deities too. One is Jesus, one is Anastasis, the resurrection. But the philosophers didn't like what he was saying. They just thought he was an ignorant charlatan. And they're like, oh, what's he babbling on and on about? What is he saying? What does he have to tell us? And so as they began to debate these things, eventually he's going to go to the Areopagus. But who are these philosophers? What did they believe? I think it's very important that we understand it. The first ones are the Epicureans right here. The Epicureans are very much like our society in the United States. They're very much like our society in Argentina. The Epicureans believed that the goal of man was to enjoy pleasure and avoid pain. Does that sound like America right? Enjoy pleasure and avoid pain. They believed in many gods, but they did not believe that the gods were involved in their daily lives. They were materialists. They didn't believe in life after death, so live it up. Live it up. Their motto, you could say, would be, do what makes me feel good. I'm going to do what makes me feel good. I'm going to seek out my happiness, what I want. That's what the Epicureans believed. That was one side of it. The other people were a part of the school of the Stoics, The Stoics did not believe this. The Stoics believed in self-mastery, and they believed that pleasure and pain would both come, but what we needed to do was to master all of it, to reach a point where we did not feel anything. So both of these different philosophies come together against Paul, and they're like, who is this ignorant charlatan? And they start to argue with him. And eventually, they take him to the Areopagus. Look at this, verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. This is that second level up top. Saying, men, we know what this, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So here he is, they take him to this mount where they discuss all the philosophies. He's, uh, he's surrounded by the most brilliant people in the world. He was very comfortable in this setting. And what does he do? He begins to proclaim Christ. He begins to proclaim the gospel. And he's not ashamed of God at all. And that's exactly what he does. And this is what they did. They discussed new ideas, so they wanted to hear exactly what he had to say. And before we look at his message As we contemplate on these verses, I believe our society is much like Athens. When we look in in the book of Acts, I think this is where our society most resembles is Athens. In Argentina, as we go to our church on the drive over, there's a statue of Mary. And sometimes, some mornings, people are there worshiping that statue, worshiping Mary. You go to the little plaza, which is where people gather, there's a different God. There's a different idol. There's a different statue. You stop at a red light, they give you a little card with a calendar on it, and it has a saint in the front. And if you pray to the saint, he'll give you food, or he'll give you wealth or prosperity or whatever you want because it's all about you anyway, right? And so you worship these. You pray to the apostles. You pray to the saints. All these idols. So first of all, we have those kinds of idols. But then in Argentina, we have other idols. One of the greatest idols in Argentina is soccer. I know soccer's not big here, but in Argentina, man, soccer is king. When Argentina plays, yeah, you better schedule your service around it because nobody's coming. Soccer's king. We don't actually do that, but anyway. In 2020, the pandemic hit, and the pandemic in Argentina was very rough, not because of who got sick, but because of what the government did to us. In March of 2020, all that began, and for eight months, we were not allowed to leave our homes. We were not allowed to open the front door and go outside. We weren't allowed. The president got on a helicopter, because I don't think he had anything better to do, I guess, and he went throughout the city of Buenos Aires checking to see if anybody was on the streets. They put barricades between city to city. You couldn't go out in your car. They'd send you back home or maybe throw you in jail. You couldn't go out. For eight months, my parents lived 25 minutes away. We didn't see them. My in-laws lived 45 minutes away. We didn't see them. We couldn't go anywhere. That was from March to October. The end of October, beginning of November, they started letting us go out. The law was you couldn't go out without a face mask. So even if you left your front door, you had to have one on everywhere you went. And they were very strict about it. When we finally went to church, we all had to be separated, you know, and not be when in Argentina, you kiss people, you hug people. When you see them, we weren't able to do any of that. And they'd have people go to different churches and check what you were doing. In the midst of all this and everything that we had to do and what was happening in Argentina in November of 2020, Maradona dies. Now, Maradona was the greatest soccer player who ever lived up to his time in Argentina. Maradona has been worshiped as a god down in Argentina. And when he died, I guess the president declared a holiday from COVID. Because what he did was he put on a funeral at the pink couch, which is your white house here. He put a funeral on for Diego Maradona. And 1.5 million people crammed in the street for the funeral. In the midst of all of this, to worship this man who was a drug addict, who was a horrible, left a horrible legacy for the country. Why? Because they loved him. They adore him. He actually scored a very famous goal in the World Cup in Argentina won. And it's called the hand of God because he scored it with his hand. Worshipped. Just a few years ago, or a couple years ago now, in 2022, if you follow the World Cup, you know Argentina won the World Cup. Now don't get me wrong, I love sports, I love Argentina, I celebrated the World Cup. The last time they won, I was two months old, so I've been waiting a while. And when Argentina won, the team came back from Qatar, and they had this huge parade. There's 17 million people in Buenos Aires, and you know how many people went to the parade? Five million people. The streets were packed. It was 110 degrees outside, and there they were. And the team went out on the bus, and they were going to go through the whole city, and they went about... Five miles, it took them hours and hours, and eventually helicopters evacuated them (laughs) because they couldn't get back to where they needed to be. Why? And I'm not against sports. I love sports. I'm a Lions fan. Finally, they're good, right? I love sports. But people just worship it. They worship it. And Missy's the greatest player now in Argentina, and people worship him, and they actually bow down to him. Society is full of false gods, full of them. And my question to you is, does your heart burn for the unbelievers? Does your heart burn for the unbelievers? Does it produce a desire in you to share the gospel with them as you see your society that's lost? And you don't have to go very far to know that the United States is lost. We need to be fervent to share the gospel anywhere we go and wherever we go, wherever the Lord has placed us because people need Christ. It's the only thing that's going to save these people. And we live in a similar world to Athens where people are self-seekers, self-pleasers, seeking what makes me feel good. A world full of idolatry where people worship their kids and people worship sports And people worship sex and crudeness and it's getting worse and worse and worse. What the world needs is for believers to proclaim the gospel. And to proclaim it with fervency. That must be our burning desire. Does your heart burn for the United States? And second, I ask you, does your heart burn for Argentina? Pray for us. Argentina's lost as well. And we need to share the gospel and people need to come to Christ and we need your prayers for us to do that with boldness. We need to share the gospel. The first thing we see here is the fervency. The second thing that we see in these verses is the proclamation, the proclamation. Look, look with me at verse 22 and 23. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul begins his speech or his proclamation with a statement of fact. He's seen the whole city, he's seen all the altars, he's seen all the gods, but he uses this one that says to the unknown God. Because what the Athenians did was they had an altar for every God they could think of. But just in case they missed a God and they feared that that God's wrath would come upon them, they had this this altar and it said to the unknown God, just in case. And so Paul takes this to present the true God. And he says, that God that you do not know, that you are confused about, that you don't have knowledge about, that is the God I proclaim to you, the true God. He does exist and he must be known. The God you worship as unknown must be known. And brothers and sisters, God must be known. Jeremiah 9.24 says, But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord. John 17, 3 says this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Paul says, God must be known. And look with me as we go through his little sermon here, his proclamation. Everything he says goes, strikes right at their heart, at what they believe. They don't want to hear this. For example, they worshiped many gods. In verse 24, Paul says the true God is the only God. Their gods lived in temples. Paul says in verse 24, the true God is Lord of heaven and earth. Their God, their gods needed man's worship. Paul says in verse 25, the true God is self-sufficient. The people worship different gods. Everybody has their own gods. And Paul says the true God is God of all. Jews and Gentiles and his purpose in verse 28 is to bring all unto himself So look with me at verse 24 how he begins the God who made the world and everything in it Usually Paul begins with the Old Testament. He begins with Abraham Isaac Jacob Maybe with Moses one of the prophets But now he's speaking to Gentiles and so he begins with the cause of all things. He begins with God as creator And God as creator struck a real blow to what they believed because the Epicureans believed that matter was eternal and there was no creator. And the Stoics were pantheists and they believed that everything in nature was God and that he could not create himself. So very similar to our society, right? A society that believes in evolution where there was nothing and out of nothing there was an explosion and out of an explosion there was an amazing universe. If this is true go put a bomb in my car and my house because I'm up for an upgrade. That's ridiculous. God is the creator. God did, in fact, create the world. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, "Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. In Revelation 4:11, this gives us a glimpse of the future. It says, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. God is the creator. And that's where Paul begins, with the cause of all things. And then he says in verse 24, look, look there with me. This God who created all things, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. God is not only the creator, but God is also the ruler. And this message goes so well with what we sing this morning. Because we sing about Christ being the ruler. We sing about him governing over all things. And this is exactly Paul's message. He created the world and he dominates over the world. God does not live in man-made temples. That's not where He lives. He's not confined to a particular place. He cannot be held down. He rules over His creation. Psalm 93 says that He rules over the creation. He reigns in majesty. His throne is established over all from eternity to eternity. He is mighty. He is immovable. Brothers and sisters, our God reigns. He reigns over all. He is the creator. He is the ruler. But Paul doesn't stop there. He is the giver of life. Look at verse 25. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, God does not need anything. God does not need our worship. We must worship Him, but He does not need it. God does not need our love. We must love Him, but He does not need it. God does not need us. He doesn't. Their gods needed them to appease them. God does not need us. God has everything in himself. We need God, and he is our creator and our giver and our provider and our sustainer, and he is the upholder of the universe, and we need him. In fact, we are alive today, and we are actually breathing breath after breath. You know why? Look at the verse again. Because he gives life and breath and everything. God does not depend on man. Man depends on God. He's the giver of life. He's the sustainer of life, and He's the one who provides everything for us. Not only that, but God is the controller of the universe. Look at verse 26 and He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. He controls the universe, He's in charge of everything. God created Adam. From Adam came the whole human race. God created all the nations. He decides when a nation rises and when a nation falls. He decides what people make what part of that nation. And in our nation, I don't want to ask you which side we're on, the rising or the falling. But God's in charge. God's in charge. And since he is the creator and the ruler and the giver of life and the controller of the universe, Paul now is coming to the conclusion of his sermon, and he says, God must be sought. We sang about that too this this morning. Look at this, that they should seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Why did God create the nations? Why did God create us? So that we would seek after him. So that we would worship him so that we would praise him with our lives. All of these truths that Paul has been speaking about have led up to one thing, that we would seek after God. And that's what he says now, to know him and to worship him. This is the purpose of man. Not my own pleasure, but God's glory. And the really neat thing is that when I give God all the glory, that is my greatest pleasure. God is not far from anyone. And the Athenians could not declare ignorance because paul quotes their own poets where he says for we are indeed his offspring and then he says because we are god's offspring in verse 29 god can't be confined to idols made by human hands now imagine him saying this as they're looking all around them all they have are idols made by human hands and paul's like no all that's wrong he was bold God cannot be confined to gold, silver, and stones. God cannot be confined to human limitation. This is not the true God. And so he says God must be sought. And so in verses 30 and 31, one may ask, well, how can God be sought? And that's what he's going to tell us right now in verse 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is Jesus Christ. How can God be sought? Repentance. Repentance and faith. Two things that go together. Here he speaks of repentance. Look at verse 34. But some men joined him and believed. They had faith. For us to come to Christ, we must be converted. This means we are to repent of our sins, hate our sins, be turned away from our sins, and believe in Christ, that Christ has come. Christ has died on the cross for our sins. Christ being God was the ultimate sacrifice and there he hung on the cross taking your sins, my sins, the sins of the whole world upon him. And he died, was buried, rose again in victory over death, over sin, satisfied the wrath of God and the Bible says that whosoever believes in Christ as their Savior has eternal life. And so Paul says you must repent. You must repent of your sins. And he gives three reasons that they must repent. First, there in verse 30, because God has been patient. God has been patient. He has overlooked the times of ignorance. But don't confuse God's patience with no judgment. God has been been patient. You must repent. Second, they must repent because God demands repentance. Look at verse 30. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent does this exclude anyone no absolutely not everyone must repent it doesn't matter what nation you're from it doesn't matter what family you're from it doesn't matter what your past is you must repent repent of your sins and third why are you to repent verse 31 because a day is coming in which christ will judge everyone and it's very simple If you did not repent and believe in Christ as your Savior, eternal damnation. If you believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior, eternity in heaven. You must repent and believe in Christ. And so Paul says the proof that all this is going to happen comes at the end of verse 31 because Christ has been raised from the dead. The resurrection is not another God. The resurrection is the final part of the work of Christ in salvation. Christ has risen from the dead and all who believe in him have eternal life. And I ask you this morning, my friend, have you believed in Christ? You must believe today. Believers, we worship an amazing God. Look at what the text has showed us. He's the creator. He's the ruler. He's the sustainer. He's the giver of life. He's the controller of the universe. May we be in awe of our God. He's amazing. Do you know this God? Do you believe in this God? Do you believe that this God is in control of America in 2024? Absolutely He is. Absolutely. If we believe that this is our God, we must proclaim Him. The world needs to know. This town needs to know. People need to know Christ. Are you proclaiming Christ with urgency? We see the fervency and the proclamation. And third, we see the response. The response in verses 32 to 34. And we see three responses. And they're very similar to the responses we get and that you get here in North Carolina. Verse 32, first response. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Some mocked. They heard about the creator, about the ruler, the sustainer, the giver of life, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, they're hearing about all this, about this God that Paul is talking about. But when they heard about the resurrection, they said, that's enough. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not want a resurrection. According to their their philosophy, a resurrection was impossible. And so they interrupt paul with laughter mocking him making fun of him ridiculing him saying that his message is a joke they don't need to know that they laugh at him in argentina many have mocked many have laughed as we share the gospel many think oh yeah you're just religious i shared earlier about cristina she laughed for 15 years and by the grace of God, he saved her. So you never know what's going to happen, but some will mock, some will laugh. Second response, verse 32. But others said, "We will hear again we will hear you again about this." So Paul went out from their midst. Some, heard, some said, "Oh, that's interesting. Oh yeah, I understand that. Oh, that's nice. Oh, I would love that, not now, but maybe later. We'll hear you again about this. But they never did. Paul left that room. Paul went to Corinth. Never again is it registered that Paul went back to Athens. They didn't hear from him again. My friend, you must respond to the gospel now. You never know when there will be another opportunity. In Argentina, many have waited for the future. We have a soccer ministry there in Argentina, if you can put that slide up. Every Wednesday night, and we're not doing it currently, but we have been doing it every Wednesday night, we invite men from the community to come play soccer as an evangelistic outreach. We, per, we play from 9.15 in the evening to about 11 p.m. You think, wow, that's late. Well, the worst part is we eat dinner after we're done playing. <laughs> so that gives you a little difference in culture, right? So they come at 9.15, we play soccer for an hour and about 10.05, 10.10, we sit them down and share the gospel, if you'll show that next slide. And we make sure everybody who comes hears the gospel. And so that's what we do. And we proclaim Christ. And then at 11, they're free to go. And men came week after week after week. And I remember there was a young man in our, in our church and he invited his brother to come play. His brother didn't know Christ. And his brother came. His brother played. His brother heard the gospel. He was in his early 20s. And, and he heard the gospel. He understood the gospel. And he's like, I, I just don't want to believe, but this is interesting. I'll hear about it again sometime. The next year during the pandemic in 2020, he died in a car accident. He didn't have another opportunity. And he died without Christ. You never know what's going to happen. In Argentina, I like to play roller hockey, inline hockey. It's not very popular, but I love it. All my friends there are unsaved. And it gives me a great opportunity to share the gospel with them. I've shared the gospel with them many times. Most of them all laugh at me. That's fine. My nickname's Pastor. That's great. And when they have problems, they know where to go, and that's where they go. But one of them said, I'm going to believe the second before I die. And I'm like, you are on thin ice, my friend. You don't know what's going to happen. Before a game about a year ago, I didn't actually play that game, but our team was about to take the court. And right before us, another game was going on, and a goalie who sometimes plays with us, he fell over and had a heart attack and died on the court. You never know what's going to happen. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to believe in Christ. You don't know if you'll have another chance. Some mocked, some were indifferent. Ah, eh, I'll hear about it again. But look at the third response some believed. Verse 34. But some men joined him and believed. Among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite. So, the guy who's in charge there, he believes. And a woman named Damaris and others with them. They did not only recognize who God was, but they placed their trust in Christ. They believed in Christ, they placed their faith in Him. And in Argentina, many have also believed in Christ as their Savior. There's a family they're going to show you there on the screen. The dad's name is Marcos. Marcos started coming to our church back in 2018. He came on, off and on. He'd come once or twice a month. And then he wanted his daughter to start going to church. And so his daughter was, was lost. She was in the world. She was in her teenage years in high school. And she wanted to go out dancing with her friends and wanted to go, go be with her friends and do worldly things. And so the dad said, if you go to the youth group, I'll let you go out with your friends on Saturday night. And she said, oh, that sounds like a great deal. I'll go be in the youth group for two hours every week and then go do what I want. And so she started going to the youth group. And that time, Modicles got saved at our church. And she came for months and months and months. She wanted nothing to do with Christ. But the Lord was working. And after several months, we went to our youth winter conference and she went to the winter conference and the Lord saved her soul. And the Lord completely changed her life. And both Marcos and um, Julieta got baptized back in 2019. And for the past five years, they have been serving the Lord faithfully, loving the Lord, growing in Christ, and sharing with their family. The other person in the picture is Julieta's mom, Romina. She doesn't know Christ. She came to church kind of to, to tell the pastor, you don't know how much my daughter's changed. It's amazing. I don't know what's happened to her, but she's a different person. I can't believe it. And I'm like, I can. It's Christ, and you need the same Savior. She's heard the gospel many times, but she doesn't know Christ. So it's a blessing. We see how people have believed, but then we continue to pray for others. And so pray for others in our church that they would come to know Christ. Everybody in our church is a first-generation Christian. Their parents don't know Christ. Their kids don't know Christ. Their grandkids don't know Christ. Their aunts and uncles, their grandparents, nobody knows Christ but we must continue to proclaim the gospel boldly and see how God continues to work, and it's amazing. Some will believe, and when they do, wow. We praise the Lord. The response that we see in Acts 17 is the response that most resembles Argentina, and I believe the United States as well. In our society, people do not know God. In our society, people have idols everywhere they look, And when we preach the gospel, some will mock at us. Don't let that persuade you from not preaching the gospel. They'll mock. So what? Some will be indifferent to the gospel. So what? Continue preaching because some will believe. Some will believe. So first of all, I ask you, my friend, have you responded to the gospel? Or do you mock the gospel? Or do you say, oh, a day will come when I'll believe. No, you must believe now. I beseech you before the Lord that you believe now. Repent and believe. Today is the day of salvation. You may never have another chance and judgment is coming. And it's your eternity that is at stake. Believe in Christ. You may say, well, I have already believed in Christ. Does your heart burn for the lost? Are you preaching the gospel everywhere you go, telling people that they need to believe in a Savior? Why not? Are you afraid? What's the reason? There's a family in my parents' church who've been saved for probably 30, 40 years now. And about 25 years ago, the Lord allowed them to have a gymnasium where they teach martial arts. And from the get-go, they said, this is going to be a place where we're going to serve the Lord through this job and business the Lord has given us. As you walk up the steps into their gymnasium, they have their values and their goals and their mission statement, and God's in the center of all of it. Everybody who comes in from the community knows who they are and what they believe. Now, this is the business that feeds them every day, but they don't care. They're going to do what God wants. And so they share the gospel with everybody. Hundreds of people... Over decades have heard the gospel. Hundreds of people have come to church because of their testimony. And dozens of them have been saved through this ministry. That wasn't even a church ministry. It's just something they decided to do with their business. That's the way to do it. It doesn't matter where you work. Share the gospel. Oh, I may lose my job. The Lord has something else then. Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter if you have a business. Share the gospel. We must proclaim the gospel boldly wherever we are. The Lord has placed you in a place, in a house, in a neighborhood, in a job, in a business, wherever you are so that you share the gospel with those people. And as you see people come come to know Christ, you will sit back and be amazed how God continues to work. Preach the gospel to everyone. Preach it fervently. Preach it boldly. And lastly, would you pray for us in Argentina? People in Argentina need the gospel. People in Argentina are lost. That they may may hear the gospel. That we may preach it boldly and that they may come to Christ and their lives may be transformed. We must proclaim the gospel of Christ boldly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the clarity of what we must do. First of all, we're so thankful and we have such gratitude that you would save a sinner such as us. We thank you for Christ who died on the cross for us and rose again to bring us salvation. And Father, we pray that all of us who have come to know Christ as our Savior, Lord, that we would go out, that we would be bold, that we would want to share what you have done in our own hearts, transforming our lives, and that we may proclaim Christ everywhere we go. And some may mock, and some may be indifferent, but many will believe. And their eternal destiny will be secured in heaven with Christ. And we rejoice, Lord, for all those whom you come to save. May we proclaim the gospel boldly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.